At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Kodiak Shack podcast. Uh, today, we have English Saul with us from Semantics, uh, but first, we're going to knock out the admin. Uh, so thank you, everybody, for listening to the podcast. Like, share, subscribe, tell your friends about the podcast, and follow us on uh, LinkedIn and Instagram, uh, where we post a lot of our clips. We're also on YouTube, so if you want to see uh, the people who are talking, feel free to follow us on YouTube and check out our episodes there. Uh, donations are always open, so feel free to uh, go to the link in your episode wherever you listen, and uh, you can click that and then donate to the show. Uh, just helps us uh, keep producing these uh, awesome episodes. So English, thank you for being here today. We appreciate you taking the time. Uh, tell us about yourself. It's not a trap. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Vader. Thanks so much for having me. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm English Saul. I am um, currently wearing the hat as co-founder and CEO of uh, my company, Semantics, um, which is spelled funny with a C and a Y and an X. Um, but uh, yeah, my, my background... Um, uh, it's, you know, a little bit more, um, diverse, you know, than specifically what I'm doing now. I have a background, uh, I have a PhD in, um, industrial and organizational psychology, um, which is really surrounding kind of the science of work, um, and, and thinking about how do people fit into work systems and the workforce, um, and just sort of thinking through organizational development and workforce development, um, in that regard. And uh, I spent most of my previous career actually in global health and global development, um, uh, just working on sort of organizational development um, and, and systems, developing systems in that vein. Nice. And how does that transfer kind of what you previously did and then kind of starting this company? We talked previously before the episode on how you kind of started the company, but what was that progression of your previous life to now starting semantics? Yeah, it's a great question. And it, it's one of those things where I, I, you know, in full transparency, never sort of sat and thought, oh, I'm going to start a company. I'm going to go start a tech company um, and be the CEO. And um, it was a really wonderful happenstance that um, I was at a point in my life where uh, I was getting a, a postdoc. I was doing a postdoc at UNC uh, here in North Carolina and really just kind of stumbled into uh, this lab and met this great guy who was working on some really cool tech. And um, the tech 
is the center point of our, our company. Um, and um, really it's, it's kind of a, at a high level, it's a, it's, it's a visual search engine. And it has the ability to aggregate all this different type of, um, different types of uh, data coming from different places. Uh, all into one place and it then provides a really unique visual user interface that allows the user to explore and interact with that information and make meaning out of it. And for me, <clears throat> seeing that, especially from my previous career, so much of what I used to do was try and map systems and try and map people and try and map information to say, hey, this node over here influences this node over here or this entity influences this entity or let me build out this ecosystem to understand the complexity of the problem that I'm trying to solve and in so many ways what I was what I was seeing visually to what Michael my co-founder had created was this ability to do this in real time with all this you know, disparate information that usually the user has to sort of go over here and dig into this information and go over here and dig into this information. Um, and having that all in one place, I was just sitting there when I was, you know, seeing this tech for the first time and I was like, wow, that would have saved me so much time. It would have saved me so much energy. Um, and I would have felt more confident in so many, so many of the decisions that I had to make. Um, and so I kind of became a, a huge fangirl of that technology and um, participated in all of his sort of development studies. And then finally just put him on the spot one day and I was like, what do you want to do with this tech? Like, this is so cool. You could, you could really shake some things up with this. And he's like, I don't know, maybe one day I'm going to start a company, um, but we'll see. And um, I'm just a very type A personality and I've, you know, had a lot of coffee that morning. So I was like, great, <laughs> let's do it. I'm, I'm ready. Um, so somehow convinced him to, to come on, on this crazy ride with me. Well, that's awesome. And how do you, I mean, you know, it, most of the time you don't think about it as, as a kid, you're like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to do, get into the study of work or, you know, the systems of things and how things connect. So how did you find your way into kind of getting your PhD there uh, initially? Yeah, I, so I originally, you know, when I was an undergrad, I, um, I had a really hard time deciding what I wanted to study. And that's just sort of been my my uh, my MO for so long. I find so many things fascinating. And uh, I went from um, studying international studies to economics, to communications, to English, to dance. Like I was just all over the place. Um, it ended up getting like, you know, three dual degrees and three minors and, and everyone was like, what are, what are you even gonna do? Um, and I realized sort of through that experience that like there's so many parts of these disciplines that I think are so fascinating and so interesting, but really the parts that I love were the systems components. How, how does this system work? How do people fit into this system? How do we build things and do things that people want to be a part of? Um, and so I think for me, I, I really didn't even know that industrial and organizational psychology existed until I kind of just tripped into an internship um, after I graduated college. And it was for this. It was for the science of work. 
And um, I thought that it hit so many of these elements that I loved about economics, that I loved about sociology, that I loved about psychology, um, and that I loved about statistics. And it was like all of these combined parts of like, how, how, do you, how do you think about ecosystems? How do you think about complex problems? How do people think about complex problems? Um, and so from there, I just sort of kind of went down that path. And it's, it's a fascinating discipline that in my mind, you know, I, I don't necessarily, you know, I'm not at a company sort of building selection processes or um, a lot of the more sort of normalized routes that maybe my colleagues would have gone down. But it's a wonderful tool to have in my toolbox to understand the theories and principles of so that, you know, I can solve complex problems. And it's, it's uh, ironically quite, um, quite good training for being the CEO of a company. So uh, it comes in handy sometimes. Well, and Bender, I'll let you uh, fire off a question here in a second if uh, you got one. But one more yeah. is how do you, how do you, what are, what are some of the trends or common errors that you see consistently across, like you said, with companies or with just general work or processes that you're like, man, these are pinch points that so many companies or people or just organizations run into? It's a really good question. And I think that, um, I can, you know, just speaking for myself and what I've witnessed and even, you know, mistakes that I've made, um, I think that, I think it's like you kind of, it sits at two ends of the spectrum where either, especially as a small company, maybe you try to do too much too fast. And I think that that's a, a, a not necessarily like a, a failing of a company, but I think it's, it is so hard when you're, when you're that young, I just remember, you know, when it was just Michael and I, and, and there's so many things that you can do and then really narrowing that scope of like, but what should we do? What should be, you know, where, where should the bounds be in, you know, how we hire, how we grow, what our customers are, what, what is our VC investment look like? Um, so I think learning very quickly to bound yourself when necessary um, that's a hard lesson. Um, and then I yeah. think on the other end, you sort of can look at companies who are just skyrocketing in growth and that's so exciting and that's so wonderful. And then, but it's also like the, that's the moment where you really have to walk and chew gum, right? You have to do so much at once. Um, and that can also be really hard. So making sure that you are bringing people on who are not intimidated by that ambiguity or intimidated by the fact that it's like one day I have to code, the next day I have to demo, and the next day I have to take out the trash, right? So like, how, yeah. do, you, how do you make sure you're hiring for like kind of those people who can really help you in that moment from startup to scale up to, to look across the company and say, what does this situation need? What needs to be done? And then those people who are fully capable to do it. Um, so I think it's kind of, you know, depending on where you are and your company's evolution, there's always, you know, kind of these just very interesting nuances that you got to look out for. So still, still very much in the learning mode for myself, even on that though. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think, you know, probably always learning, you know, in that, in that way and kind of as you progress into new areas, Bender, what do you got? Yeah, tell me uh, or tell us a little bit. How did how did semantics kind of get linked up with the DoD? How did that bridge get built? 
Yeah, so we, you know, originally the technology that Michael developed really was um, surrounding the use case of, of healthcare. So um, we really kind of set out and thought, oh, <clears throat> we're going to go build tools to help healthcare providers and healthcare decision makers make better decisions and have information at their fingertips. And so we were kind of on that path. And then honestly, just sort of, there was one day out of left field where we were able to sort of kind of have a, um, uh, interest came from, um, uh, you know, kind of, uh, from the, the DOD, from that sort of space. And they said, Hey, we like your tool. It's very cool. Um, but can you do it on this kind of data? So it was very much a collaborative exploratory process of can, can this tool, add value to this space. Um, and then from there it, you know, especially getting just a lot of user feedback, um, and, and insight, we were able to really sort of kind of move more in that direction and say, Oh, actually this tool, like we're, we're really adding value here and getting a lot of good, um, customer integration. Um, and so we just sort of, we're now running hard down that track. Cool. And what's the, is the DOD use case also kind of in healthcare or is it uh, what other? Yeah, it's not actually in healthcare. It's it's a lot more kind of the higher level problem that originally we did set out to solve. Um, and it's a problem. It's interesting because it's a problem that just is so industry agnostic, which is there's just so much information. There is so much unstructured and semi-structured information. And we don't have an, as many tools as we should to bring all of that information into one place, triage it, aggregate it, and then put some backend analytics on it just to be able to understand it, just to be able to get a picture of what does this mean? You know, our, our, our current search algorithms present things to us in a very linear way, and that works for a lot of things, but it doesn't always work when you're trying to investigate or you're trying to explore something that is very nuanced and you... You have things that are, you know, when you're talking about domain-specific information, you really want to be able to treat it, you know, like you're exploring in the same way that you're trying to use a map or a compass to navigate yourself through the woods. We want to provide that as you navigate through the sea of information. Um, and so that's really a lot of the problems that we're sort of going after within the DOD. Well, and one of the things... Uh... Looking on the website, I saw, I'm going to say terms or names, and I don't know what they mean, so please explain this to all of us. Uh, but uh, Shannon and Ruthie, is that uh, correct? The, yes. Uh, the programs, the processes that you use? So, so what are both of those, and, and how, do they, how do you see them applied either currently or in the future in the defense space? Yeah, absolutely. So Shannon and Ruthie are the names of the products, and um, we have to we have to give our products specific names, <laughs> just as we're working on them internally. Yeah. Um, and and they are you know some of them are named after um, very you know influential people, a lot of women. So Shanna is actually named after a man, but Claude Shannon, who people would consider the father of of information retrieval. Um, but anyway, so Shannon is actually, um, it's a video meeting platform and we sort of created it in a way because we just were tired of taking notes in our own meetings. Um, but what it has led to is that, um, it's a capturing mechanism. So what we're able to do with Shannon is that we actually, 
we use it for all of our internal meetings, some of our external meetings, and we're just capturing meeting notes. Um, and then we're able to take that and it immediately sends to um, Patty or Ruthie. Uh, you might not see Patty on the website, but Ruthie, Ruthie and Patty are sort of the same same side of a of a coin, or di two different sides of a coin. But it's a um, which is the visual search engine that I was telling you about. So you're automatically able to capture your meetings, capture any type of audio, send it to the library, um, and then search it in a really visual way. And the cool thing is too is that. Not only do you have that direct audio stream going, but you can then start to plug in really any other data source that you want. So be it an external database, um, news, PubMed, um, or be it your own internal records, you just sort of plug that into to the system and you can start to begin to search and navigate and make meaning out of these multiple kind of feeds of information in one highly visual and interactive space. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So now my, I, I have a lot of ideas here because I, when I hear you start saying like, hey, you have all this data capture and now we can take audio from different sources or information and then, and then it can now kind of scour that. So does this information have to go in well, um, well defined? Like, does it have to have a lot of, you know, kind of garbage in, garbage out? Or can you just kind of like, hey, all the, you know, crumpled papers in my backpack I now can utilize effectively because I just put it in here and then it will kind of smooth it out all those rough lines. Yeah, you know, so it's interesting and this is a, um, and I will phrase this with saying that like, I, I wish my co-founder Michael was here because he has a much better, more technical explanation for this, but I'm going to do my best. 
you know, it's an interesting kind of problem that everyone in the information retrieval space kind of faces or the search space. So you have the ability to do things. So for us with our technology, one of the things that's really important to our users is real time. So they want to see on, you know, right there in the moment, I want to see like the, you know, open source Intel that's out there. I want to see it in this platform and I want to be able to do it quickly. And so there's this trade-off between sort of the messiness of real time versus the like the cleanness of sort of backend analytics and and how do you how do you really you know slice and dice this to make sure it's only the good stuff is coming in. But what we found is that with the with the search engine itself, with the the clustering you know the visual clustering program Ruthie, um, it's the human in the loop element is really important. And so what we found is that you're able to bring sort of the more messy stuff into the user interface. And as long as the human has a sense of this is what I'm looking at, this is what I'm looking for, um, and, and is really sort of focusing on that sort of domain specific information, um, the human in the loop component actually is is really good because what we're really trying to do is say now it's all in one place you don't have to spend time aggregating it and triaging it and capturing it we did that for you and now there's almost a very sort of easy way of exploration and you can start to hone in on getting you know to the signal from the noise faster and so that's really our goal is that we want to make this faster and we want you to do it with more confidence um, and so I don't know if that really answered your question, but <laughs> no, I think it does. Cause I, my, my imagine is it's kind of all this information is floating there and then whether keywords or topics or trends, now it can kind of, uh, collate, if you will, kind of stack the stuff that's more applicable at the top of the list, the first things you'll see, or the more visually apparent. And then you can now make the decision of like, hey, that is the information I'm looking for. This other stuff is the chaff. I don't need it kind of thing. Is exactly. that, do I, am I understand? Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Bender, what do you, what do you got on that stuff? Yeah, I think, I mean, the more you work with the DOD, I don't, you won't be surprised to know that, you know, 99.9% <laughs> of all valuable information is just lost uh, either on useless computers or whatever networks and stuff that we just can't access very well or, or we just don't have time. So something like this, I am thinking through it. I, I fly F-35s out at Hill and F-35 is really good at capturing all this information from the jet, everything that it sees, everything that it kind of processes. And we only skim a tiny bit off the top as far as the information that pilots then use in our debriefs. But it would be so helpful if there was a way, like you're kind of saying, you know, that, that over, if we do one phase of a specific mission set for a month, if that back end, like something that like you guys are working on can then glean all the, the pictures or the, I guess the videos of the site pictures that we're looking for, or the, what it would look like on our displays. If you see the thing that we're training for anyway, if we could file all that, if we could gather all that and then in, in an easy way, we can just access it real quick and bring it up in our briefs or whatever. Then we can actually incorporate the lessons learned that we've been learning for a month. But right now that it's just kind of getting lost uh, in the data, the giant data. So there's definitely a use case, uh, at least in my, you know, limited kind of realm in the, in the F35, but it's, yeah, this kind of stuff is, 
it's exciting to hear about and it's the hard part i think is is bridging that gap between the capability that you have technology and guys like vader and i who you know we know what we want but we have no idea how to you know like say it or even know how to connect those two pieces so it's yeah. kind of exciting to hear that no when i think one of the oh go no, ahead, go ahead Melissa, Vader, go ahead. oh i was gonna say uh one of the things that's that's tough and, and we've said this many times is that everything in the DOD is stovepiped. Everything is kind of lives in its own little space where the F-35, all the data that it gathers lives, if they even save it, lives on their network. And then some other platform that may have data lives on their network. And if we could just get all of that information to live in one space, so whether it's it's emissions from some adversary, something or other, whether it's some operators, task force type people working in some country that need all of this data. If it all lived in one place, now you're, it's kind of this, this it's that synergy maybe, the, the sum of all those parts is going to be way more useful than all of them being uh, singularly analyzed. Is that is that accurate? Would you agree? I totally agree. And I think, you know, the thing is too, is that I think what's hard in particular about this situation. I don't think it's unique to the DOD. We see it, you know, elsewhere in other spaces as well, but it having all the information live in one place, like, A, we have to really define what is the one place, right? Because, you know, when you start, especially when you're talking about defense, you're, you're talking about there's different networks, there's different classification levels, like there's all of these things. And so the question then becomes, should it live in one place? Or the, can it have the ability to get pulled to one place, right? Where it sort of stays where it is, but then depending on credentialing, can people sort of access it? And is there a um, more sort of uh, normalized or sort of consistent access ability? Um, but also like, I mean, the truth is too, and this is just me with my psychologist hat on, but getting people to use new tools is hard. Like, it's just difficult, right? And and, yeah. and even if it could be, like, the coolest, shiniest, like, most gamified, awesome tool, there is still going to be a, a distance between when that tool is implemented to when the user can actually start using it to the highest value, right? Um, yeah. And so for me, I think what's really interesting about being in this space is that so much of the kind of barriers or, or, you know, opportunities, I guess, also don't let, don't land necessarily in sort of the tech development part. Like that part is great. And there's just so much, I mean, so much cool, unique tech out there today. Like we've got some cool stuff, but there's a lot of people who have a lot of cool stuff, but I think overcoming the state of inertia in, in, you know, from the DOD to other industries of just sort of saying, what's going to get us over that hill of the user wanting to use this, right? There's so much power in like small daily habits of using tools. How do we get from this being like the new thing that like we're just adjusting to or we're trying to make value, make use of to like, this is just habitual for you. You just go in and you just do like, you know what I mean? I mean Google has done it. Whenever you're like, what? I need something answered. I'm gonna go to Google. You know, so many social media platforms have done it. Um, but I think we're still trying to, you know, really paint that picture a little bit, especially in this space when it comes to trying to build tools that are based on 
machine learning and AI and like how do you then make that habitual? How do you make that tool really something that's ingrained in the workflow? Um, so yeah, really interesting time. When I think, uh, because my understanding is you didn't have a ton of exposure to, to kind of the military in general and military members. So, uh, both kind of in the same vein is one, like how has it been interacting with military members, current and previous people like Emma? Um, and then two, like, what are some of the things that, that you and those military members get excited about when you look at the future capability of what semantics brings? It's a great question. So, you know, for me, my, my previous career was a lot more in global health and global development. So I, I don't think I realized this in the beginning, but there are so many parallels, I think, between the space of defense and also just sort of global health and development. And I think a lot of it is sort of, you know, working with big organizations like WHO or UNICEF or like sort of large, you know, NGOs, <clears throat> there's, there's still a lot of those same kind of just very, you know, human type problems or human type uh, barriers that like that we have to wrap our arms around. It's just a lot of it is resistance to change. How do you, you know, and I wouldn't even say resistance, but it's just sort of like, it's all innate in all of us. Like we get used to using one thing and it takes a lot of cognitive load and cognitive work to switch over and get used to another thing. Um, and so I think there's some similarities in there of just sort of steering, you know, large, you know, steering big tanker ships into like pivoting a little bit. Um, it just takes so much, uh, communication and it takes a lot of, um, desire and passion. And I think that it's been wonderful working with our partners within the DOD because we've been lucky enough that the, the people that we're working with are like, we actually want to imagine the art of the possible with you because we need to, because our work can be better with what capabilities we can bring to the table. And if our work is better, our team's work is better. And then our group's work is better. And then our organization's work is better. And so I see a lot of um, just raw collaborative spirit, which is just really cool. And it's really great to be a part of, especially as someone not coming from this space. You know, you can imagine when, you know, this tiny little lady is like walking into, you know, meetings with Space Force and they're like, what are you, who, what? Um, but I've never, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's such a wonderful environment to, to just push through to solve problems with. And I, I just really appreciate that determination so much. Cause that's not, that's not everywhere. Well, I think the gravity of the problem is probably paralleled well in the medical field, as well as in the military, because both people, they're, they're things that are life and death, um, there, Bender, I'll let you ask the last question because we're running out of time. Uh, what do you got before we let English go? Well, that was kind of a positive note, so I, I don't feel like I shouldn't go out on a... I was going to say, like, what are the biggest <laughs> obstacles you, you've kind of encountered working with the military? Uh, so you can answer that and then maybe add, you know, something happy at the end there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that the biggest obstacles, really, it's, it's, on, it's on myself and my team and that the learning to understand and you know it, to me it, and I, I felt this also when I first started you know in the work with global development there's 
a soup full of acronyms. There's paperwork that I don't even know how to read. Um, and the, so the learning curve has been steep. Um, and just like, what, what does this mean? You know, I'll be in these conversations sometimes and they'll be like, well, in the AOC for the DOD and the SEC, and I'm just like, can you guys just repeat those in words? You know, <laughs> so yeah. it's, um, but it's, you know, that's, it's more of like myself and my team, like the more we're exposed to it and the more we're in it, um, the easier it gets. Right. So I, I would say it's probably been the biggest obstacle is just having to like write down all the acronyms to go back and Google. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the worst part, yeah. And the worst part is sometimes we duplicate acronyms, you know, like ATO authority to operate or air tasking order depends exactly. on the day. So, uh, so good luck building software that can, uh, figure all that out. Right. Um, well, great. Well, English, I know you have a hard out, uh, to get to other stuff, but we really do appreciate you taking the time. And, uh, you know, we'd love to have you back on in the future just to hear all the awesome progress that you and uh, your team have. So thank you very much for being here with us. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Really appreciate it. And of course, yeah, I'd love to come back anytime and, and I'll, I'll bring maybe, I'll bring Michael with me next time. Oh, that'd yeah, be great. We'll grill him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Kodiak Shack. Remember, like, share, subscribe. Thank you, everybody who has donated and uh, donations are always open. And uh, remember, info at KodiakShack.com. And I'll have uh, English's uh, contact info and the website in the show notes so you can reach out to them. Thanks. Bye. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.